We're in Acts chapter 8 today. If you guys want to open up your Bible there. How many of you guys are going to watch the game? Yeah? Cool. And that's why you came to the first service, huh? You're like giving yourself time. You know, um, it's Super Bowl Sunday, but I'm super blessed to be able to study what we're studying today, the scattering or the spreading of the gospel. So what's more important, the game or the gospel? Gospel. gospel. Big time, huh? But it's okay. We can have fun. And in heaven, I think I'll be a good football player um, today. But today, as I was going through my notes, and I'm just going to share with you guys, I had like all these notes, and you guys know normally I got pages and pages and pages of notes. But then when it was all done this morning, I just said, you know what, I'm going to kind of toss those out and I'm going to just give you uh, five principles that we can pull from Acts chapter 8 and and so let's read it together we'll touch on it and then we'll come back and we'll pull out some principles as we read our study it says in Acts 8 in verse 1 now Saul was consenting to his death and that's in reference to Stephen and the word consenting it means voting and so you know, Saul was part of the Sanhedrin. Uh, he was assuming full responsibility for the death of Stephen. He voted for his death. And so at that time, it says, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And and, you know, more than likely the apostles stayed back uh, because they wanted to just make sure that they stuck to their posts, that they had a responsibility there in Jerusalem. And, and more than likely they stayed back because, you know, they've, they've already been through that. They're not afraid to die anymore. And so they stayed there in Jerusalem. Everyone else split. Um, but we read right here in verse uh, uh, 2. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Now, this is an interesting verse because the, the phrase in the Greek language, devout men, it could be in reference to men who aren't really saved. They're God-fearers. And so if you read commentaries on this, a lot of people will bring this up basically to say that when, you know, sometimes a non-believer, when a believer dies... Non-believers, they don't know how to weep. They don't know how to grieve. They lament without hope. And that may have been what was going on here. When we die in Christ, you know, and I know we're going to miss the person, but as Christians, we don't lament without hope. We, we, in one sense, there's a rejoicing because Stephen is now in the presence of the Lord. And so, again, I just want to throw that out there because most teachers will bring that point up. That, that devout men, you know, when Stephen died, they, they carried him to his burial and they made great lamentation over him. But as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house. Look at that. Every house and dragging off, not just men, notice, and women, committing them to prison. Later on, we'll see when Paul testifies to the Jews in Acts 22 and he testifies to the king in Acts 26, he talks about the fact that he caused them to blaspheme. He even put them to death. And so he's going in houses. He's pulling out men. He's pulling out women. He's throwing them in prison. He's causing them to blaspheme. He's killing them. This is what's going on there as the church is suffering this persecution and 
So we read in verse 4, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Isn't that cool? Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed, and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. And so there's a lot here. Uh, you know, it's been said that Scripture has one interpretation and, and many applications. And so I want to give you guys today four principles from this section. And there's more, but these are some of the things that kind of stood out to me. And I think it's going to be helpful for us to remember. Number one, you've got to know as, as, as a church, the church will suffer persecution. The church will suffer persecution. Jesus said, I promise you, you'll suffer persecution. <laughs> How, how's that for a promise, right? John sixteen thirty three. he said, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You know, and, and for us knowing that, I think it helps us because we go through hard times. And sometimes what happens is Christians don't get it. They're like, wait a minute, time out. I'm a Christian now. I'm serving the Lord now. Why am I going through hard times? Why am I, you know, experiencing opposition or conflict? Things going on in my body, in my heart, in my soul, in my spirit. Why is it so difficult for me? It's because we're still in the fallen world, fallen bodies, fighting fallen angels. It was a promise from Jesus in John fifteen twenty. He said, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And that, that's a promise from the Lord. And so I don't want you to think that when you signed up to be a Christian, that everything is going to be smooth because it's not. But don't let it take you out. Don't let it take you down. Don't let it slow you down. Know that it's part of the promise because you're probably doing something right. You're probably doing something right. And that's why, you know, the enemy comes and he tries to take us down. You know, it's been something that the church has experienced ever since its inception. It's been documented that in the first 300 years of church history, six million Christians were killed for their faith. You know, Satan tried so hard to stomp it out, to put an end to Christianity. And I'm sure you've noticed he has not stopped his attempt, right? As a matter of fact, the persecution and execution of Christians continues today in many parts of the world, whether it be, you know, Christians crucified in, uh, ISIS, by ISIS in Syria or church bombs in, in Egypt, uh, tragedies. Many casualties in North Korea, Somalia, Afghanistan, Sudan, Iraq, Iran, Yemen. You know, you go to these countries and, you know, they say one out of every 12 Christians is being persecuted in this fashion. And that's, that's physical, that's external, but it's important for us to know the truth is, according to 2 Timothy 3.12, that all Christians, all Christians... All people, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So it's not just those over there in, in Syria or, or North Korea or Afghanistan. It's you. 
Now, we might not be threatened physically, but the enemy comes at us with everything he's got. And, and we got to know that, you see. Uh, persecution really can be defined is, is, is something that happens anytime the enemy attacks us in any way. So, you know, you're there and you're preaching the gospel and let's just say someone comes up to you and they sock you in the face. Probably better, you know, like a sock like that. You know, you're like, oh, I got persecuted. And it's true, you know. But the devil, he can't see him. He comes and he socks you in the face. He comes and he kicks you as hard as he can. He comes and he tries to take you down. That's persecution as well. And, and we go through these things. And sometimes as a pastor, or I know for you guys as a Christian, you get, you get down, you get oppressed. It's like the enemy is just like this cloud all over you. And you don't understand why. And part of it is because of the fact that you're being persecuted because that's what happens because of the battle that we're in. You know, the devil hates your God. And he hates you. And so he's going to do everything he can, anything he can to get you off track, to make sure that you're not trying to live godly anymore, to make you quit, to make you split. I pray that you wouldn't. Tries to divide your marriage, your family, messes you up at work. I mean, so many things happen to our kids and it's used by the enemy to take us, you know, and we just get so bummed. I mean, we got to know this is part of what's going on in, in life, in the world we're tried and it's amplified because we're Christians. And so, do you guys know that? We're not one of those churches that say, oh, if you're a Christian, everything's going to be hunky-dory. We're not like that. that. That's false doctrine. You know, that if you're a Christian, you're never going to experience you know, tough times. You know, you're going to be healthy. You're going to be wealthy. You're going to be prosperous. That's a lie. I mean, you know, when we get to heaven, it's going to be different. But until then, there's a war. This is not a playground. This is a battleground. And as we see right here, they, they suffered this persecution. Notice in verse 1, it wasn't just persecution. It was a great persecution. A great persecution arose in Jerusalem. And so... I just want you guys to know that, you know, I don't want you to have any uh, false conceptions of what Christianity is and, you know, now you have a, a Christian life and so you thought everything was supposed to be uh, a bed of roses. No, it's going to be tough. Uh, we will suffer persecution. So just know that. But then principle number two is God can use persecution for proclamation. And to move us from being comfortable to being usable. I mean, how many of you here, if it were up to you, you would suffer no persecution? How many of you here would be like, Lord, I would like that. <laughs> that everything would go good, that the enemy would just leave me alone, that you would have me surrounded by your angels and they would never be able to fire a fiery dart in my direction any day. Lord, just let it all be smooth, right? But see, we got to know that, yeah, the enemy is going to do his thing, but God uh, will do his. The enemy, in one sense, rules, but God overrules. We have to stay focused, though. God can use persecution for proclamation and to move us from being comfortable to, to being usable. You know, I, I think of uh, Stephen's death. I mean, you guys, we read about it last week. 
and how, you know, he died uh, uh, just uh, laying down his life for the Lord in such a loving fashion, dying like Christ. I mean, man, not a, a, a word of uh, bitterness. I mean, just pure love. Lord, forgive them. Don't charge them with this sin. You know, and, uh, and what ends up happening is as a result of that, you know, the persecution started. I think what happened in one sense is like Saul is like a shark. He smelled blood. And so, man, he started racing. And, and, but what God would do is God would use that to spread the gospel. Up to this point, they were like this uh, salt in the Jerusalem sh- salt shaker. And God says, no, you can't just stay in your comfort zone. I've got to take that salt and I've got to shake it out over now in the regions of Judea and Samaria. Don't you remember that's what Jesus told them to do in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8? He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. I mean, it's not just us uh, living in our Christian cubbyhole, comfort zone. There are people out there that are dying, that need to be saved. They need to hear the, the name of Christ. And that's what ends up happening. Through the persecution, God would use it for proclamation. And he would use it to move them out of their comfort zone into the place where God would do a work. See, and, and I want to encourage you guys, and we're going to see later on that it's not just the apostles, it's not just the pastors, it's the deacons, it's the Phillips, it's the Stevens. You might be here and they'll be like, well, that's not my job, you know, because you got the pulpit and we, you know, whatever. Some people are funny, they're like, we pay you to do that. No, you don't pay me to do this. You do it. I'm here and I'm studying and I do some visitations. I get out a little bit, but you're out there all the time. You know, and yeah, praise God for those opportunities that we do get. My wife and I were sharing with a couple of guys at Sam's Club the other day. It was such a blessing. You know, but, but we got to go out in the highways and byways, valleys and alleys. We got to share. We got to preach. You know, what, what do we preach? Notice what we read here in verse 4. It says, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. That's what you preach, man. Don't preach your experience. Don't preach your your witty sayings. Preach the word. The principles of God's truth. Give them the scriptures. And and, and what is that? I think that when you look at verse 5, this is one aspect of preaching the word. Notice it says in verse 5, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. See, the the persecution provides opportunities for proclamation. So what are you going to preach? Are you going to preach the word? Well, you know, if you really want to preach the word, preach Jesus. A lot of times people are afraid to mention that name. And they'll say God because it doesn't offend anybody. And they'll, you know, just kind of give them, you know, the Lord loves you. And no, tell them about Jesus. Tell them about how he died for them on the cross. How he was put in a grave and three days later he rose again. That if they call on the name of Jesus Christ, they'll be saved. You know, maybe you're here today and you, you've never really done that. You know, I, I, if that's you, I, I want to encourage you to know that Jesus Christ loves you. He died for you. He rose in three days for you and he's here for you. 
to save you. You see, that's what we preach. The word, we preach to Jesus. If you go down to verse 12, uh, I want to fast forward. Something we'll cover next time. But when they believed, Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God. You know, that's what we preach. We preach the word. We preach Jesus. We preach the things concerning the kingdom of God. A lot of times we're so caught up in this world that we forget this is not our world. We are not of this world. I encourage you, you know, talk about things of the Lord. Talk about heaven, not just a destination, but a motivation. And then in verse 25, if you go to this same chapter in verse 25, this is now the apostles. So, so when they had, had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. See, God will push you out of your comfort zone. God will allow the enemy to hit you hard. God will allow persecution for that purpose of proclamation. He wants us to preach. He wants you to use your lips. He wants you to speak the word. He wants you to shine, but he also wants you to share. And you know, don't be an obnoxious person. But just be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Always be open. You know, like I was sharing with you the other day, my wife and I went to Sam's Club. And we had, I think, what I would call a genuine opportunity, a divine appointment to share with these guys. Now, does that mean that every time we go to Sam's Club, we, we share with people? No, it's not like that. Maybe it should be. I don't know. But, you know, it's not like that. But we're always open. We're always open for whatever the Lord, you know, wants to do in my life and through my life. Are you guys like that? If we're like that, I think we're going to see the Lord working. You know, are you open to the Lord using you to share his son with others who are hurting and and dying? And, And, you know, one of the guys, man, going through some hard times, you know, needed to get right with God. And the other one, it's just so cool to see and, and so when we're there, we're, we're preaching the word, we're, we're sharing Jesus, the things of the kingdom, the gospel, and that's found in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, that, you know, Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, he rose again the third day, and if we believe, then we're saved. Don't add to it. It's so simple, so powerful. You tell them, this is something you can do right here, right now. All you have to do is believe. Not in your head, but in your heart. Faith, trust in Christ. So number one, the church will suffer persecution. Number two, God can use persecution for proclamation and to move us from being comfortable to being usable. Uh, Number three, it kind of answers the question, why? Why, why is this all going on? And the answer is because God loves everyone and longs for them to be saved. God loves everyone and longs for them to be saved. How many of you here are Republicans? And you're thinking, God doesn't love Democrats. How many of you guys are like that? You know, uh, some of you are Democrats and you're like, God does not love Republicans. It's crazy how our country is divided. Some of you here, you know, you think that, that God doesn't love President Trump or some are saying, well, God doesn't love those who don't love President Trump. I mean, it's crazy the world that we live in. Some of you here are are deceived into thinking that God doesn't love 
ISIS. He loves them. He loves the Islamic terrorists. Now, if they don't repent, God's going to deal with them, but you've got to know He loves them. Oh, He doesn't love the murderer. Yes, He does. He doesn't love my neighbor. Yes, He does. We've got to know this. We've got to get beyond this. Um, and this is really what it's all about. Like I was sharing with you guys, man. I mean, praise God for the game. I doubt if I'm going to watch it, to be honest with you. I think it's kind of cool because some of you are using it as, a, as a, an excuse for fellowship. And so that's kind of cool. Right? <laughs> but it's just a game. This is the gospel. This is what it's all about. This consumes my life. For the Son of Man, the Bible says in Luke 19.10, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the whole reason the Lord came and that's the whole reason that we're here. It's because God loves everyone and longs for them to be saved. And so when the Lord really gets a hold of your heart, and some of you guys here, I know, man, he has your heart. And it's so cool to see. Everywhere you go, you're always wondering whether or not that person is a Christian, whether or not they know the love and forgiveness of Christ. I mean, it consumes you. You're not caught up in your own life. But others, they're so caught up in this world and it's just, it's like, man, you want to take them and, and shake them and, and wake them and say, why are you so caught up in your own world and your own hobbies and your own interests and your own laziness? It's like, why won't you serve the Lord? Because at the end of the day, it's all about that. I mean, how much television are you going to watch? I mean, it's all about people that need to be saved and if you may maybe send them a card if you may go knock on their door you may give them a phone call you know you may you know get into the word and and on your knees and you pray and you're just so caught up in that you know for me it's got to be that god loves everyone he longs for them to be saved and 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 when he says everyone i mean he means everyone i mean even saul Look at verse 1. Saul was consenting to his death. I mean, to me, I think Stephen, aside from Christ, had the greatest death in the Bible. But then I think of Saul, and apart from Christ, I think he had the greatest life in the Bible. That's my opinion. I could be wrong. but And I think there's a connection here. You know, when, when Stephen died, we talked about this last week, and you might wonder why. And I think that, of course, you know, it's a combination of everyone being free to do what they choose to do. But God in his sovereignty, he said, I want to witness to this guy right here. I want, to, I want him to see pure love. And when Saul saw Stephen die, there was a seed that was scattered, not just to a region, but to a person. And it went inside his heart. And, and you look at this guy, and he's the one that voted for his death. They laid their clothes at his feet. It says in Acts 7, verse 58, which is not just like, hey, watch my jacket so someone doesn't, doesn't take it. No, there's a formality there. There's, there's something, there's responsibility there that he's assuming. I'm the one 
I'm the one responsible for this guy's death, voting for it, laying their coats there. And then when it all happens in verse 3, as for Saul, it says, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. The word havoc, it's, an, it's, an, it's used in Greek literature. The only time used in the Bible is right here. But in Greek literature, it's used of a wild boar who was wounded. And then it said it went through a vineyard and it just destroyed it. It just tore it up. If you could visualize like, like this wild boar. And that's what, that's what Saul was. And it's interesting. I, I think it was, yeah, John Corson. He talked about how, how God took this guy and, and how he began to deal with him. And he's goading him and he's convicting him. And this guy that was so educated, so refined, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, he was a man who knew Greek culture, he's turned into an animal. And he does all these things that we're talking about. It says in Galatians chapter 1, in verse 13, that he tried to destroy the church. And so I don't know about you, but, you know, if someone was trying to, to kill my family, and someone killed members of my family, I would probably want them to die a torturous death. I don't know if you guys saw the other day, there's a father of, a, of these three gymnast girls that were molested by this man. So the guy's in court. The man's right here. I mean, not far from him. And I don't blame the man. How many of you would have done the same thing he did? I just want to get this guy. Yeah. But God loves him. And, I, and, then, and you know, you might be like, I don't know, man, that's really bad. He died for him. And, and part of the reason that I think it's important for me to say that is because there might be some of you here today who have done things like that or worse. And you need to know that God loves you. That God can forgive you. You know, when we, when we think of Saul, basically we think probably the worst guy uh, of all, right? I mean, look what he did. Murders of men and Christian women, a religious zealot, might as well call him an Islamic terrorist. Not only Saul, but how about the Samaritans? Look at verse uh, 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preach Christ to them. Now you guys know, according to John chapter 4, verse 9, that the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, right? I mean, that was where, it's so cool how the Lord, you know, he broke that, 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 that concept when he went and he spoke to the Samaritan woman and reached out to her and loved her. But, but the, the, the point is, is that we need to know that God loves everyone and longs for them to be saved, not only to be saved, that the fourth point is this, that God can use anyone who makes themselves available. God can use anyone who makes themselves available. You know, it's one thing for God to save someone. And some of you guys here, you need to get saved today. So what are you waiting for? Okay. Maybe you're the one. When you get saved, we're going to get raptured. Okay. Please get saved today, man. After the game. No, I'm just joking. We wouldn't do that, right? <laughs> you know, but, you know, you're like, okay, well, God, you know, 
I believe, maybe you're here, you finally believe, okay, I think maybe God can save me. Did you know this? That God can use you? God can use you, whoever you are, to change the world. You know, but we have to, we have to come to the Lord. And, you know, um, we, we have examples here. For example, Stephen, he was just a waiter. He was just a guy that would clean up or maybe hand out, you know, breakfast burritos. I mean, he was just a guy that, that did a little administration. But we read that when they chose the deacons, he was uh, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. He loved the Lord. And so you may be here and maybe you have a title, maybe you don't, it doesn't matter. You can be used by, like Stephen was, and, and Stephen, one of the things that, about Stephen, I think to me that stands out is this, and this is where I fall short. He died to himself. He died to himself. You know, the Bible says that when you become a Christian, that you are called to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. You know, and the, the hard part about taking up our cross is that it, it hurts. <laughs> you know, it hurts our pride. Okay, when you get nailed to a cross, it's wrong. And so how many of you here, when you're wronged, you think it's wrong, <laughs> and you fight back? That's where we were rest when we're not like Christ. You know, we're thinking justice, justice. Hey, that's not right. I'm going to fight it. I'm not going to put up with it. I'm not going to let anybody run over me. You know, and, and that's the mentality that we have. And what ends up happening is we don't take up our cross. We can't be used by the Lord the way that he wants to use us. We're not willing to swallow our pride. We're not willing to be humiliated. We're not willing to die to ourselves. We're not willing to suffer then we'll never die, then we'll never rise. I mean, Stephen, that was, that was him. He died. So God used him in such a great way. I mean, God can use anybody. God can use the guy with or without the title, like Philip, for example. We're going to see him right here. Look again at verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And so you're like, well, that's Philip. Well, that can be you too. You know, the key to Philip was he was filled up with the Holy Spirit. huh? <laughs> that's all it takes. Did you know that? Did you know that there is nothing good in me? Did you know that I have no power to do anything spiritually? I'm nothing. Right? I mean, God can use us if we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And just think, just think, okay? I know some of you guys, you're, you're already thinking about food and the Super Bowl. Just come back for a second, okay? Come back. All right? Just think if everyone here started believing that God can use my life. Like Philip, like Stephen. Just think. You know, I, and, I, and, I, and I want God to use my life so much more, but sometimes I even wonder about me because I mess up. 
I do. I fall so short. But I know by the grace of God, God can use me. You're like, hey, wait a minute, time out, Manny. You're a pastor. You mess up? Yeah, I do. Once a year. <laughs> I do. And, uh, you know, so, so someone says, hey, you know, you're supposed to be an example. I could hear someone say that right now. You're supposed to be an example. You're not supposed to mess up. Hey, I'm an example of grace, man. I try not to. I try not to. I hate it, though, when sometimes you get these religious people and they are, you know, with this official, superficial aura of presentation that says they never fall short. What does that do? It discourages people because they think it's attainable and it's not attainable on this side of time. I tell you what, the more Paul lived, the more he was in tune with his own sins. And as he continued to write, he eventually came to a place where he said in 1 Timothy, he said, man, I'm the chief of all sinners. And I don't say that, you know, to offer excuses. All I'm saying is that, you know, God can use anyone. God can use you. Do you want God to use your life? Do you want people to get saved? Do you want Him? He can do miracles through you. He can cast out demons through you. He can heal the lame through you. He can do all these things, man, through you, through us. You don't have to be an apostle. You don't have to be even a deacon, just a normal person. Lord, fill me up with your Holy Spirit. God can use anyone. You know, God can even use Saul. And that's what he did. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16, it says, but that is why God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of the great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. It's not, it's not easy, but I want to encourage you guys, don't lose heart, don't give up. You know, I was, went to go visit uh, Bob McCarter yesterday, and, and he's, uh, you know, he's on his, on his deathbed. He's, I don't know how much longer he has, unless God does something, you know, just radical, which I know God can. I mean, he's there, and as he's there, you know, he, he responds every once in a while to something. Like when I talk about his wife, you know, he responds. Or when I talk about the blood of Jesus, and then he responds. And so it was a, a blessing spending time with him yesterday. But, but the thing that I told him, I said, Bob, I want you to know that God is still using your life. And as you're there and you feel like you're, you can't be used or, you know, I want you to know, and as tears are coming down my eyes, that God is using you in my life right now. And I, I just want you guys to know, I want, I want to know that as long as I have breath in my lungs, as long as my heart beats, as long as I'm on this side of time, that God wants to use my life. I pray that, that you would let him don't get caught up in this world. It's hard, but it's worth it. 
Wiersbe said, persecution does to the church what the wind does to the seed. It scatters it and only produces a greater harvest. You know, when we were in Cambodia and we saw them throwing down the seeds, I mean, it's kind of cool. You know, you see it there. And, uh, and without the wind, though, it just goes down right there to the same old ground, right? But when the wind starts blowing then that that seed, it just gets scattered. That's what the hard times in our life are. That's what persecution is. You know, if you could visualize Stephen in one sense, he was like this little piece of wood that was burning and the enemy came in and he said, I'm going to put this fire out and he stomps on him and then the embers, they blow. And it's like the Santa Ana winds and the next thing you know, the fire is raging. That's what God is doing. But Lord, I don't want trials. I don't want tears. I want what I want. Can't you just give me what I want? And God says, you don't even know what you want. Are you a Christian? Yes. Well, if you're a Christian, then deep, deep, deep down inside of you, you want people to get saved. That's the whole reason we're here. And the truth is, I know it's cliche, but when there's no pain, there's no gain. When there's no battle, there's no blessing. When there's no struggle, there's no strength. When there's no cross, there's no crown. When there's no death, there's no life. It's going to hurt. You're going to hate it. But you've got to know it's going to help. People get to heaven. You know, it's interesting, the, the words that are used for preach here, there's two words. One, it speaks of a herald, and uh, it's the word where we get evangelization or evangelist from. And it's somebody who has, uh, has uh, this, um, I'm sorry, the first word is Caruso. You guys know our Caruso Center back there. It's where we get the word herald from, and it's somebody who has important news. You know, they would go out and they would share important news. Uh, but the other one is that word where we get our word evangelist from or evangelion from, and that's the, the word good news. And so you guys watch the news? Sometimes you, you see important news. Sometimes you wonder why they're covering the story about the cat. You're like, why is this on, on Channel 7, you know? But, you know, but important news... But man, what about good news? That's what the preaching is. That's what the gospel is. The bad news is we're all sinners separated from God and we're going to be snuffed out by Satan and we'll suffer the power and penalty of sin. But the good news is that when you place your faith in Christ, simple belief in the heart, a trust in Him, and the good news is, and like I was telling Bob yesterday, All your sins are washed away. Bob, this is not your home. Heaven is your home. See, we need to know that. Because that brings us to our last point. The first is the church will suffer persecution. Secondly, God can use persecution for proclamation and to move us from being comfortable to being usable. Three, God loves everyone and longs for them to be saved. Number four, God can use anyone who makes himself available. And then number five, 
is that Jesus brings joy. Look again there at verse 8. And there was great joy in that city. Isn't that cool? You know, Samaria of all places, man. I mean, the place where the Jews looked down on them and they were kind of like half-breeds, you know, physically, spiritually. There was this great crazy racial tension going on between them. And, you know, you you wouldn't think it could happen there, but it, it happens wherever Jesus is. You know, I don't know how long ago we started the church here in in Almani. And I know we have a long ways to go, a long ways to go. But that's my prayer for this city. Is that there would be great joy in this city. That's my prayer for you. You know, you guys are out there and you're working and you're, you're giving and you're allowing me to, to be a pastor. And so I get on my knees and I pray for you that you would have joy, that you would have victory, that your families would be blessed because that's what Jesus does. That's what it's all about. Joy doesn't mean necessarily that you're happy all the time. Joy doesn't mean that you necessarily always have a smile on your face because we go through trials. We've been talking about that, man. We go through hard times. But joy is, um, one person said it this way, it's a smile in the heart. It's peace dancing. Peace dancing. Any of you here dance? Maybe we could do that on the last song. Uh, we could dance. Nothing wrong with dancing. You know, but I, I mean, you know, when you're dancing, you're like free and, and, and it's that joy that you have peace with God. I mean, that's the main thing, right? Because that's what salvation is all about. Jesus said in John fifteen eleven, these things I've spoken to you that, that, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. You know, one day, hopefully, we'll hear those words. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Ultimately, it's, a, it's about heaven, right? Jude one twenty four. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I mean, we're going to have joy. And I think there will be joy in the city. But especially in that city, huh? When we're home. That's why we read in Luke 2, in verse 10 and 11, the angel said to them, speaking to the shepherds, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I pray that, you know, us as Christians, uh, we would. Just, man, enter into these things and say, okay, Lord, I know there's going to be persecution, but I don't just, you know, I won't just tolerate it, Lord. I, I won't just face it. I'll embrace it because I know that you would not allow anything bad to happen to me if it didn't have good intentions. I know, Lord, you work all things together for good to those who love God and are the called according to the purpose. I know, Genesis fifty twenty that what the enemy intended for evil, God, you can use for good. And so I'm going to turn it around. 
When I get on my knees, I'm going to search my heart and I will use that persecution for the purpose of proclamation and I will, Lord, preach. Because I know you can save anyone. And I know, Lord, you can use anyone in me. So, Lord, here am I. And then as we catch that vision and that truth of what the Bible says, then you watch. God is going to use your life to bring joy. Isn't that what we need?